ah, the things that you miss at home that people here are laughing at, those that saw it. No one came to my rescue, they just laughed. It's really quite scary. Thanks, mate, I appreciate that. Actually, your dad laughed too. It runs in the family. That's unbelievable. Both of you saw me fall like you were waiting for me, waiting for it to happen. Anyway, how is everyone? I hope everyone's well. Ah, well, this is our mixed service, hey? Yay! Welcome to the vaccinated and unvaccinated. Oh, my goodness. Aren't you glad that we're not in Melbourne? Because that would mean this service would only be allowed 10 people, plus those that are required for running the service, but we're allowed 20. So um, as a church, we just felt like it was really important for those that are watching, wherever you might be, that we didn't want to segregate our congregation based on being vaccinated or unvaccinated because then I would have to segregate those that do drink alcohol versus those that don't drink alcohol. Uh, And then I would have to segregate those that barrack for Collingwood versus every other team in the AFL. Uh, And then the list would keep going on. So to be um, probably to walk the way that we're convicted here at Mount Clear or Family Life Church. Uh, we wanted to get everyone together as often as we could, and so we've decided that we would have mixed services. So you're the first mixed bunch, really. We've been running 20 for some time, but hey, welcome. Look, thanks for um, socially distancing. Please stay after the service for those that are at home. I hope you have a coffee machine. If not, um, enjoy your instant, but please stay and have a coffee. Um, We're still selling those, it still goes to mission, all that sort of stuff, but welcome here to church today. Uh, I've actually been thinking about freedom, particularly, I guess, because of the season that we find ourselves in, you know. I think that we're a generation, that we're a people that actually live in freedom, funnily enough, a freedom in Jesus, a freedom in Christ, and I think that you and I have been set free from something, yeah? We've been set free from the power of sin and death, we've been set free from the enemy who's tried to get a hold and place a hold on on our lives, but we've also been set free for something. And it's the for something that's the most important because we're free to make a difference in this world regardless of the season, regardless of sunshine or regardless of rain. We're free to fulfill our God-given purpose. And so you and I, all of us, and everybody that's watching at home, wherever you might be, we actually all take part in this massive thing that Father God's doing in building his kingdom. Like, we're all a part of that. And that, for me, is true freedom, yeah? True freedom. And so even if all of our freedoms have been taken away, they can actually never take away that freedom. No matter what we may lose in life, that freedom itself can never, ever be taken away. So that's the stuff that I want to talk about this morning. So we'll pray, we'll jump in, we'll see where God goes and we'll see what he does. Amen. So Father, we thank you for the opportunity, the privilege, the freedom that we have to gather together. Lord, whether it's in our homes where people can now have friends and family over God or whether it's uh, in the church building itself, uh, whether it's early in the morning, late at night, I thank you, Father, that we are still free to lift up the name of Jesus. We are still free to glorify him and exalt him, Father. I thank you that that has not changed, God. That has not been taken. And so, Lord God, we're here today to bring glory to the name of Jesus. Father, we're here today to say that we want to be more like your son. And we ask you and invite you into our lives to continue to prune and to cut and to mould, Lord, us into the shape of your son. 
that we may more, be more liking with everyone that we meet, that they may discover Jesus through us. So we thank you for this time together today. And uh, all his children said, Amen. Hey, young Nath, can I ask you to do me a small favour? Can you run into the office and get me a bottle of water, please? Is that all right? Thanks. And we're live, so I won't cut that out, so you'll see that at home. Yes, I need water, otherwise I'll dehydrate because I've had two coffees today in Jesus' name. Anyway, so I want to talk about freedom because one of the things that I think the enemy wants to do is the enemy wants to rob us and wants to rob us of stuff. Um, and he, he wants to actually stop us fulfilling that which I said was an important thing that the Father's doing, and that's building his kingdom. He wants to stop us. He wants to, um, I, I guess, nullify us. Thanks, mate. wants to neutralize us. Um, he wants to paralyze us. In fact, he wants to paralyze us in our past. He wants to paralyze us in our mistakes, you know, those things that we keep running over in our minds. You know, God can't use me because you don't know. You keep running those. He wants to stop us in places of our pain, and yet God, on the other hand, wants to use those mistakes, wants to take that pain, and he wants to turn that around, and he wants actually... you. He wants to leverage those things and use them for his purpose. So uh, let's use that as a foundation. Now I want to try to paint a picture as a parent. You know, because there are some things that we do to our children that we have to do to our children that um, from the child's perspective may seem unfair. I'm not talking about discipline. <laughs> but, you know, when you've got a baby and it's cold because you live in Ballarat, or somewhere else and so you you put the baby's only just started to crawl or walk and then you're sticking all these clothes on it you know jeans and you know you buy those those really groovy trendy jackets and you take all the happy snaps you know because you, your baby looks beautiful or snuggly and round but then they go to move and they can't you know if you've ever actually put a child in a snowsuit that's never worn a snowsuit. They, they can hardly move because we've actually, if you can get the picture, we've actually put on our child something that they can't carry, that they can't handle, yeah? The reality is that they needed it. They need it. They need to be warm or they'll freeze. They'll get cold, catch pneumonia, yeah? But if I, if I wasn't to, I, I guess, cover them entirely, in those beautiful clothes and that snowsuit and watch them fall over because it's too heavy for them, which is really quite funny, right? <laughs> anyway, um, if I didn't do that, I'd be seen as a mean parent because they're out there in their singlet or their bonds onesie that's not going to keep them safe from any of the climate outside. I wanted to paint that picture because even though the baby couldn't handle it, the child can't handle it, it's good for him. And at the end of the day, as parents, there are some things we put on our kids that they can't handle, yeah? Now, I need to dispel first a myth that I believe exists in church circles, right? God's a God of love, totally, absolutely. But here's the myth. God will never put on you more than you can handle, God will never put on you more than you can handle. There's nothing, no thing, right, 
Regardless of the translation, there is no scripture that suggests that God will never put on us more than we can handle. I'll tell you what people do. They take this one passage in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and it reads really clearly, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide you a way out so you can endure it, right? So they've taken that passage of Scripture and they've slightly changed it. In the Western suburbs, we would say twisted it. Yeah? They've slightly changed it to fit their narrative to give them and those that are around them some comfort. And they come out with, God will never put on you more than you can handle. But here's the problem. Even last week I shared, I have been through things that I can't handle. Yeah? And I would suggest that some of you here and some of you that are listening at home have been through things that you can't handle. You've experienced things and been through things. And yet when you receive a teaching that says he won't put on you anything that you can't handle, it actually it leaves you at a place where you're wrestling, trying, trying to reconcile your faith with God. Because if, if I've got faith in God and now I'm going through something that I'm not coping with, does that mean I'm now far away from him? Does it mean now that I've lost my faith somewhere? Is he punishing me? And we ask the question, what's going on? What, what happened here? Because the truth is there'll be times that you and I will be totally and completely overwhelmed. But in Christ, the scripture does say that we will overcome. See, bad people don't get overwhelmed. All people get overwhelmed. All people. And we have this man in the Bible called David who over and over wrote honestly, particularly in the Psalms, about being in distress and then also being restored. And the true human experience is actually living in the tension of that. So David writes in Psalm 120, In my distress I called to the Lord and he answered me, Deliver me, O Lord, from my lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you and what more shall be done to you, you deceit? And it, and it goes on and on. You jump then to Psalm 126. He's no longer in distress. Now he's living in restoration. And he says, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Like, listen to the tone. It's totally changed. Our mouths were filled with laughter. Our tongues with songs of joy. True humanity is living in the tension of distress and restoration in God. And now you've got still David, and I, I want to focus on him, particularly in 1 Samuel 30. David finds himself in a place of distress. And he's feeling overwhelmed. And many of us in our life have often felt that way, overwhelmed. 
there's been something that's happened to us or, 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 or maybe a consequence of something we've done and we feel overwhelmed and overtaken. We feel like we're walking through some type of adversity. So David in, in 1 Samuel 30, it reads from verse 1, David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it and had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziglag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Before we focus on his distress, right? David and his men reached Ziglag on the third day. Anytime you get a picture of three days in the scripture, you and I, we need to pay attention because it's pointing to something. The miracle always comes on the third day. Jesus was dead, but raised on the third day. So when it says, this is happening on the third day, though it's a picture of distress, it's actually cluing us into a story of rescue, of restoration, yeah, of resurrection. Now, David had advanced against the enemy, and the enemy basically had just retaliated. This is what's happening in the story. That also happens in the spiritual, and I'll get to that later. But he's coming back to Ziklag. Now, Ziklag is a Philistine city, or Philistine if you prefer, depending on how you pronounce it. At this point of David's life, what you've got to understand, he wasn't yet King David. He was just David. He was anointed, but he wasn't yet appointed, yeah? Yeah? There's a 15-year gap between David being anointed and David being appointed king. I don't know about any of you, but for most of us, we should know that there's usually a gap between when God gives us some kind of dream or promise and that coming to fruition. We need to know that. We need to be able to carry the tension of that because after 30 years, are we still holding on to that or now we're in distress and despair because it hasn't happened we just need to know that there's a gap so David would actually in this time he would go in and he'd play the harp for King Saul because King Saul if he was alive today would be seeing Mike Skews because he had a mental illness King Saul had a flat-out mental illness so Saul the king then gets jealous of David and he throws a spear at him trying to kill him good friend huh just as well he wasn't that good with a spear. So this sends David on the run for years, and, and this is what we have to understand where David was at, because he gets to a place where he feels so unsafe that it's better for him, and it feels the best thing for him to do is to hide behind enemy lines in the Philistine city. Not my message. There are Christians today who have been hurt by church, hurt by people within the church, and would rather hide in enemy lines than being with the people that they should feel the safest with, yeah? King David. I said earlier, David had advanced against the enemy, and the enemy retaliated. This also happens in the spiritual because there's a spiritual battle going on all around us all of the time in places and spaces. Even when we can't see it, you and I should still be able to perceive it. That's why it says in Ephesians 6 that we don't, fat, we don't battle against flesh and blood. 
It's physical and it's spiritual. Um, I mean, for those of you that have ever stepped out to do something for God, yeah, where you felt like God's really called you to do something, you know, it could be anything, whatever it is that Father spoke to you. Often it's in that place where we go to do something great for Him, there seems to be a struggle. There seems to be resistance in our lives. You know, maybe like David, we feel like something's been stolen from us. Sometimes it's a relationship, it's a hope, it's a dream, it's a job, it's, it's an opportunity. Sometimes it's our dignity, sometimes it's our peace. But the thief comes to steal, to kill and destroy. And, and, and the one thing about that is that he can never ever, he, he may not be able to steal our salvation, but he wants to stop your effectiveness in the kingdom. He wants to, as I said earlier, paralyze you, nullify you. You know, he wants to destroy our happiness, our fulfillment, our purpose. He, he wants to do that, you know. It's a spiritual attack. I'm wondering whether I should even sh share the next part. I won't. I will. In life, it's important for you and I to know that there are, when it comes to pain in our lives, pain comes from four different places. Yeah, generally it comes from four different places. It comes into our lives from someone else's sinful decisions. Yeah, someone else. In, in other words, we become victims of someone else's decisions. Yeah, pain comes. Or sometimes it's our own choices. Yeah, stupid choices. Sometimes they're sinful choices. But we may be sons and daughters, but we still have the propensity to do the wrong thing. We still have free will. Then pain comes through spiritual attacks. And pain also comes because we live in a fallen and broken world. We need to be able to identify those things so we know how to battle and fight those things, yeah? Anyway, David was experiencing a spiritual attack, as you and I often do. And, and I just want to say that if we're not facing some type of resistance, maybe we're not advancing the kingdom of God, yeah? David had spent 16 months as a secret agent, you know, like... Like Maxwell Smart, I guess, or James Bond, depending on what era you live in and who you prefer, right? 16 months as a secret agent behind enemy lines, raiding the Gisharites, the Gizarites, the Amalekites, totally going in always. So he kept intruding and encroaching on the enemy. While he was living in an enemy space, he decided he would go in and attack other enemies of the nation of Israel. He would do that while he was there. But eventually, even while he was there, those other enemies got sick and tired of what David was doing, and so they attacked back. And the minute you make a decision for God, the enemy will use things to push you back. You only have to speak to someone who's made a decision to get baptized. And often, in the week before, if all hell's going to break loose, that's when it breaks loose. If they're ever going to back out, it's in that first week. You know, leading up to the baptism. If ever you want to cocoon someone to keep them safe, it's a week before their water baptism. Because whenever you make a decision for God, the enemy pushes back. Now, not everything we go through, not every pain, not every heartaches are pushed back from the enemy. Just because our car broke down and we haven't serviced it for three and a half years, that's not the enemy. That's stupidity, Yeah. Like, we have to be able to tell the difference. But what happens when we go through stuff is we often think it out. We try to reason out a conclusion. 
But when we do that, when we reason things out, often we decide to be neutral or we decide not to move forward. We decide to go against where the resistance is. Rather than go that way, we decide to go the other way. But when we do that, we fall into the enemy's hands. We fall into their plans. So I just say, if you and I are not experiencing resistance, we have to ask ourselves, are we advancing the kingdom of God or are we advancing against the kingdom of God? What decisions are we making? We need to do a double check. And if we do that, it actually encourages us who are experiencing resistance at that moment of making a decision for God. Because the devil knows how effective we can be, knows how effective you can be. And so what he's done, because he's a lovely person, he's put a target on your back. I reckon that's worth celebrating. Woohoo! The enemy's noticed me. Stick it, dude. You know, like, if he's not noticing you, you can give him any sign on your hand that you like, but he's not really going to take any notice. But when he's pushing back, he's going to notice. Anyway, it's a spiritual battle, and we need to rise above it. So when we go through tough and difficult times, like David was in that passage, you've got to think, the city's burned down. The wives, every warrior's wife is taken, plus all the children. Like, we're not talking just gold and necklaces, the house. We're talking everything has been taken. When we go through tough and difficult times, often we ask, why didn't God stop it? Why didn't he prevent it? And, and I just want to reiterate something I said and shared last week. God doesn't ever cause evil, ever 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 he does not and will not and cannot cause evil it goes against his very nature but he does permit what he hates to accomplish what he loves but he does permit what he hates to accomplish what he loves and i suggested that maybe the valleys of the shadow of death that that we go through that they're not a punishment for something we've done wrong but perhaps they're a preparation for greater potential perhaps They're not an interruption to our story, but an invitation to an even greater story. So perhaps God doesn't always intervene to prevent. Perhaps he chooses to intervene or not to intervene to produce something. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. For this light momentary affliction... I really like this, by the way. He's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This light and momentary affliction, it's producing for us an eternal weight of glory that is beyond comparison. So you think about your trial, your tribulation, your pain, However heavy pain I I may rate my pain, I guarantee you that there'll be someone in the world that is worse off than I, right? There are people that have gone through things, parents that have lost children that, that they should never, ever have gone through, yeah? Imagine then the weight of that, what they've been through, the, the, the weight of that struggle, of that affliction, of that pain. How heavy is that? And then the scripture has the audacity to say, in light, it's, it's, it's actually light, for this light momentary affliction. 
So if our pain and our hurt and our struggle is so heavy, and if it's called light in comparison to the glory of God that we're going to experience, then how heavy is the glory of God? If you start to wait up, you think about the pain that you've been through. And God says this light momentary affliction, how heavy is the glory that we're going to experience? I don't know about you, but this is where we as Christians do the exact opposite. And we're in the midst of our pain, we're like, oh man, this is terrible. But what I'm going to, what I'm going to experience, if this heaviness is light, man, I cannot wait to experience something that's even heavier, his glory. You know, everyone knows Newton's third law, right? There's a physical law, there's a spiritual law, and we know that every action has an opposite and equal reaction. So when we choose something for God, we're going to face a reaction, yeah? We're going to face a resistance, an opposite resistance. But in our case, that opposing resistance, that opposing reaction, it's not equal, it's not the same. You, as, you and I as Christians start on a completely different level when we're going through stuff because the Scripture says that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world and that no weapon formed against us can prosper. Oh, I love that. God always takes what the enemy means for evil and he turns it around for good. Remember last week I was saying he's like the, the master, you know, the jujitsu master because Unlike other martial art forms, they take the momentum of the enemy and turn it around on themselves. And God does that over and over again. He takes the death on a cross, turns it into a resurrection. He turns things upside down, yeah, back to front. He takes things that the enemy means for evil and he turns it into good. When pain comes, we need to learn not to react and rather to respond. David did not react in Samuel. He did not react. He responded. And there's a difference between a reaction. There's difference between a response when we're going through stuff in our own lives and our circumstances. See, our reaction's immediate, but our, our response is it's filtered. It's, it's thoughtful. It, it's, it's actually intentional. Um, I'll show you with, Sam, with, with David and Samuel. First Samuel, verse 6 of, of chapter 30. And David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. These men, they begin to blame David. They, they, they take on a victim mentality. But these men had come forward voluntarily. They'd come forward and aligned themselves with David because they knew that he was anointed. So they voluntarily said, we're going to follow you. But when stuff didn't happen, they took on a victim mentality. This is where we have to learn because they begin to blame him. People need to place their pain somewhere. They need to put it somewhere. Each and every one of us, when we're going through stuff, we need to put our pain somewhere. But if we don't put pain in the proper place, giving it to the Lord, yeah, we will end up blaming others. And I would suggest that between those that are here and particularly those that are listening everywhere, that some of us have actually experienced things where others have put their pain on us and blamed us for what they're going through. But you can't blame anyone else for the misery that we find ourselves in. There's a difference being a victim and adopting a victim mentality. 
David's men were taking on a victim mentality, staying in a place of casting blame. When, we, when they did that and when we do that, it robs us of being able to move out of that place. And no matter what happens, the Holy Spirit always empowers us to walk in victory. Even if there's just a tiny, minute thing that we can do in our situation, we can still say, you may be able to steal my staff, but, but you can't steal my salvation. You, you may be able to steal my possessions, but you can't steal my praise. The enemy should never be able to rob us of our joy. And, and this, is, this is probably the most difficult truth to grab a hold of because if we're going to walk out our pain we have to adopt I guess a mindset that says no matter if I have the ability or if I don't somehow God saw fit for this situation that I'm going through your pain your tribulation yeah whatever that is he saw fit right for this for you to go through this and, and, and it's actually come through his hand and then he's given you this thing in a sense because he's allowed it to happen for you to go through it and he's allowed it to happen as a gift to us. Well, that's a difficult one. A gift to us, really. I would say I'd have a couple of people I'm thinking of now There would be large telephones thrown my way. Praise God, I could sell them on eBay and make money. But you've got no idea what I've been through, Pastor. You don't know the pain. You don't know where I've been. You, you, you don't understand that. How can you call that a gift? How can you call pain a gift? Elizabeth Elliot wrote, What you gain in relationship with the giver far outweighs the loss of the gift. What you gain in relationship with the giver yeah, in relationship with the giver, far outweighs the loss of the gift. In other words, there is nothing in this life that we can lose that can match what we gain with the only person that can truly satisfy us. Nothing. And this is a journey. And, and I love the fact that this morning our worship team and, and Ross, you led um, that, that line from, a, uh, I, I, I'm leaning on Jesus, I trust not in my own understanding. I love it when it looks like you've set something up, but you had no idea. And then you just kept singing that first line, you know, that I, I'm leaning on him, I'm leaning on him, I'm leaning on him, I'm leaning on him. Because I'm leaning into the thing that flows from his hands, the hands of a sovereign God, right, into my life. And somehow God sees some of this pain as a gift, good or bad. And this is where in our faith, this is where faith, this is where rubber hits the road. That, that even though we don't see it right now, we need to be able to say, I know he's got something worked out for my future. I, I know that it's going to somehow, as I lean and trust in him, that it's actually working out for my gain more than it is my loss. That means we would go as far as this as to think and, and, and grab hold of. So anything that can come into our lives, though it look like a curse right now, is a gift to us. And anything that's withheld from us that we think might be a gift would actually be a curse if he gave it to us. God would give us everything we ask for if we knew everything he knows. 
God would give us everything we ask for if we knew everything he knows. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. And, and we need to somehow learn to live in this paradigm, to live in it. And, and King David was living in it. And, and how did he respond? Still in 1 Samuel, but verses 4 and 5, Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive. I won't pronounce the names of Jezreel and Abigail. It's an easy one, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. Do you know what they did? They lamented. That means they wept. They wept. And, you know, for the men that don't weep, learn to weep. Learn to cry. They lamented the best and most appropriate response when we're living in our pain is to weep. It's to let go and let God, yeah? When pain comes, don't push it aside. Don't come up with some, I want to say a word that I can't use, so some crappy theology that says everything happens for a reason. Wow, what a great pastor you'll make. Don't go there. Weep with them. Let them weep when they're in pain. When we've experienced loss and pain, that, that feeling, if you bury it, it never dies. It never dies if you bury it within, but, but when you just let it out, so if, you, if you try to numb it, you actually numb every emotion in your body for everything that you'll ever go through. That's what actually paralyzes us more than anything else. We become afraid of those emotions, so we don't want to feel them, so we bury them. All because we're afraid to experience them. Let's face it, none of us wants to get caught crying ugly. Like, does everybody know what I mean by an ugly cry? Look, I'm not talking about a small me. When you're ugly crying... No one likes crying, ugly crying in the car. You're like you're sobbing for some reason and then you turn and someone's looking at you and you're like, you've got snot running down your face like as you're ugly crying. No one wants to be caught doing that, but we need that because that, <laughs> that is the portal to healing. That. It brings us to a place that God can meet us. It says they wept until they had no strength. What that means is God had to empty them of themselves, right? So they could be filled with something better. Sometimes God has to empty us of ourselves so he can fill us with something better. I guess that's why it says in Psalm 30, the, third, uh, the second part of verse 5, weeping may tarry for the night. But joy comes in the morning. If you're crying all night, that's an ugly cry. Yeah, that's one ugly cry right there. Ecclesiastes tells us there's a process, there's seasons, there's order. At first, we have to experience the depth of emotions before we can experience the height of emotion that Father God wants to actually bring into our lives. You know, why would God put, put on us more than we can handle? really simple to show us we can't handle it to show us we can't handle it 
David didn't deny his feelings, but he put his feelings in submission to his faith. You know, 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6 says, But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He knew he needed someone to step in. First he wept. First he wept, and then he put his feelings, his emotions, and submitted them to the Lord, and he praised. He said he praised. I'm out of time, but I've got to, I have to finish with this. So you've got something to do in the midst of your weeping, yeah? It says in verse 7 of 1 Samuel 30, And David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Hamilah, Bring me the ephod. The ephod is the garment of praise. It's the outer garment that a priest would wear. They would wear it over themselves to represent yeah, to, represent, to the, um, represent themselves to the people in worship. It, it, it was like the outer signifier of worship. You know, we get a band up here. That signifies we're about to worship. They would put on this, this ephod. It was the outer signifier. Now, our mountaintop experience is where we get to know about God, where we get to see what he's done and what he's doing. But, but it's in the valleys that we get to know him. Yeah? It's in the valleys that we discover who, who he really is. And if our praise, if our praise is reliant alone on what he does, it'll leave us feeling empty. But if we praise him for who he is, yeah? if we praise him no matter what, he becomes an anchor for our souls, our, our ever-present help in times of trouble. David wore the ephod in the most tr tragic moment of his life. <laughs> and in that, it became his most triumphant moment. If you read Ephesians, it tells us that there's something that we need to put on. Do it in your own time because I've got to wrap up. But Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 6, we've got to put off the old self, but we've got to put on the new self. We've got to put on the full armor of God. What, what, what I'm trying to say is that there's something that we need to put on if we're going to walk through our pain. If, we, if God is going to allow us to and put on us more than we can handle, then we need to learn to put on the ephod. We need to learn to put on praise because bringing the ephod is putting the garment of praise to worship God. It's a time to seek his face. It's a time to get close to him. It's, it's a time of looking up and not anywhere else. You know, David asks, what do I do? And the Lord answers in verse 8, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue the raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, God answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. We need to understand that our enemies will be completely vanished when we go to God first in praise. How else are we going to know God as defender? We can only know him as defender when no one else can defend us. How else are we going to know God as healer except when no one else can heal us? How are we going to know him as our provider when and unless no one else can provide for us. How do you know God to be a restorer? Unless you've had something stolen, it needs to be restored. <laughs> Whether he chooses to give or take away, what will we choose to do in our pain? Why don't we stand? Because sometimes in life, we just need to go deeper in him. And sometimes we just need to weep 
so that he can fill us with something better. And in that, we just need to learn to praise, to put on the ephod, to play the album, to lift up our exaltation to him, even when we don't feel like it because it's the worst season in the world. But it's in those moments we get to know him not just know about him because you're on the mountaintop, but when you're in that valley, you get to know him. And things are restored. And marriages are made brand new. Or relationship that once died, now you've received a hundredfold children that have been taken away from parents or parents that have lost children. Because of bad parenting, whatever it is, all of a sudden that relationship becomes restored. God starts to do a work because he takes what the enemy meant for evil and he turns it into good. But we can't choose to step into a victim mentality. We may be victims, but we can choose to praise. We can choose that even when our wives and our children and everything we own is taken away, we still live in the freedom of building with God this magnificent thing called the kingdom. And we, that freedom can never be taken and we can praise him in that. So it's a challenge for all of us. Father, just in this place, for those that are at home, Lord, I ask that you, Holy Spirit, would move right now, that you would touch people, God, where... Father, we're Holy Spirit, where you've reminded people of, of pain, of, of situations, circumstances, tribulations that they've been through, Lord God. Father, I pray that you would begin to restore and to heal. I pray, God, that you would give every person in this place and every person in the hearing of this word, God, I pray that you would give us the strength to be able to step into a place of lifting our voices to you. That regardless of what the enemy may have tried to have stolen from us, he can never steal our salvation. No matter what he's taken from us, what possessions, he can never take our praise. And so, Lord God, help us to be a people that raise our hands and say, you are the one true living God. There is nobody else like you. I lean totally on you and I trust in you. And I don't lean on my own understanding, Lord God, but I lean totally on you. And God, though that looks good, Lord, I'm trusting. That's, if that's not coming, obviously, God, that's not what you want. And the Lord God, I don't know if I want that, but if it's coming, I know, God, that you're going to turn it around. I know, Lord God, that I'm just going to trust in you because you love your children and you want to produce insight inside of us something which is glorious, something which is magnificent, something which leads people, Lord, to want to know you. Lord, that like that commercial on TV, people will look to us, talk to us, hear us as we share our testimonies, and they'll say, I want what they've got. Lord, because we've wept and we've wept and we've wept and we've wept through the night and joy's come in the morning and you filled us with something better. So, Father, we thank you, Lord, for your truth. We thank you for... David, who was anointed and appointed, we thank you for that king. We thank you for his writings. We thank you for what he teaches. And Father, I know that this day, Lord, there are people that are going to take their story back. Lord, may that be a testimony we share in weeks to come. Everybody said? Amen. Sorry, I've gone a little bit over. But have a wonderful Sunday. Have a great day. If you can, stay. Have a free tea. Make believe coffee or buy a real one for mission in Jesus' name. Amen.